Hi, how you getting on? Are you ready for another episode? It's time to sit back, relax, and be inspired by Trials of a Sofa Surfer. Episode 5 of Trials of the Sofa Suffer. Firstly, I want to thank you for subscribing and downloading this podcast. We are now at 95 downloads as of today. So thank you very much. So appreciated. Uh, and it's only been about what, two or three weeks, so so really, really chuffed. So, but we want more. Let's get to a hundred uh, downloads. So please Share this with your, your friends, your families, your work colleagues, uh, people in the know, people in authority. And today being the 8th of May, uh, there was some news released yesterday regarding the homelessness sector in Glasgow and the, the changes that are going to be uh, happening. So uh, it's an apt time to be doing this this type of podcast. Today I'm speaking with Alistair. Alistair, currently a tenant at the Arch. Uh, the conversation went on for a while. Uh, Alistair had a lot to say, but it was full of great content. So please bear with it. If you need to listen to it over two sittings, then, then do so. It's a great chat. I really enjoyed it myself, enjoyed listening to Alistair share the things that he shared and I want to thank Alistair for, for doing just that. Now if you want to get involved then please get in touch with us via our social media pages and via our website you can do that but really just enjoy. So sit back, grab a coffee or if you're in your car, you turn the volume up and listen to Alistair in part five of Trials of a Sofa Suffer. I started off asking Alistair about the arch. I've always been aware of the service that the arch provides. Um, coming from... Knowing, knowing, knowing the guys um, over over the years in recovery, uh, taking part in, in certain things and always, at this point I wasn't homeless. I had been already through the homeless system. Um, and what happened was I relapsed. I relapsed, I was in recovery. I had already been homeless. I had been rehoused. And then I was now working with homeless people in addiction. Um, so using your experience yes passing on, helping others helping others but by this time and this is how I ended up to, to this is how I'm going to answer your question to becoming uh, a tenant in the arts now um, in that course of time up until me being homeless and coming through the system and then working in it and etc etc 
all that sort of stuff came into my life. Before that, if I'm honest, my only responsibility would have been getting to the chemist in time, a GP's appointment, a lot of the time I was unsuccessful with, with that. So to then get into a position where I was supporting guys was a massive, massive turnaround. But all this other stuff had come into my life. Um, I became a parent. Um, I became a person that paid their council tax. I became productive, positive sort of member. And part of that was, honestly, about giving back, finding some sort of calling. I felt it definitely at that time was the right thing. And if I could earn a living doing that... Um, all, all the better. I never imagined I would have been sitting back in that service, any other service, unless it was in a professional capacity. I never imagined that I was going to end up back in that place with that one responsibility getting to that chemist one time. That became my experience, um, and I knew the only difference was I, I knew that there was people out there that could support me. I needed that support. I needed to find enough humility to ask for help, uh, which I found really, really difficult. Probably because I was seen to know better. Yeah. Um, and there was maybe an element of truth in that. But to, so, such a long period, and I'm not meaning years, I'm meaning months and months had kind of went on and I was going and I was going and I was going to stop using that and I had been on the sick. Um, and I had, and I never had enough about myself. I think probably because I was working in addiction as well, and I was then and I had relapsed. I felt if it had been another colleague, it wouldn't have been as bad. But the, the, that particular service that I worked in, I was also I went through that service and I done really well in. For um, whom wouldn't it have been it so bad for? The other colleague, if they, because of the whole addiction and, and me going through, and especially remaining abstinent for that whole time that I had been in, I had always, a bit like yourselves, remained in touch. I always had some sort of, although it was fair to say, I think the reality it was more on a friendly basis than a professional. You no, know, like, game of pool, game of football. Um, more of a socialising aspect. Mm -hmm. um, I never imagined that I would have been sitting having to ask for help in the way that, that, that I did. So I ended up relapsing, finding enough desperation rather than humility to get help. Yeah, that's interesting. My whole life... People will talk about relapse and say it gets worse, right? Um, there's always a message in a relapse. There's always, like, I could have done this or if I had done that. Um, it was so much sore because of the progression was so much faster. But everything I had learned went against me. I knew I was in trouble last time. I knew I was needing a mm -hmm. power greater than myself to intervene. Mm -hmm. um, and this is where it became really, really difficult for me because I was out with any encatchment. I had no care manager. I wasn't on a prescription. Um, 
I ended up on a prescription. I still had no care manager. I was in a different town to access the services that I needed. It was was becoming impossible. I had to find a treatment centre, which I have also... Um, was quite successful and the first time I got clean away at the treatment centre and I'd done yeah. really well and then and, and so, so I had to contact them and I was at that point I was desperate I was really needing help um, I was presenting very very poor my mental health was really really poor and my life was a car crash it was just didn't want to be taking part in any of it but it was did it feel worse and potentially was your life worse because you were self-aware? Because you'd been there before, then you had to become a professional working in that area, working with people, I suppose, similar to yourself. And there you were back in the 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 car crash, as you call it. Did it was that worse? Or was it compounded because you were self-aware? I think... Like you use this word, paradox. It isn't, it isn't. It was definitely... It was definitely more punishing because of my awareness. Because I now knew, um, one, it was wrong. I didn't need to be doing what I was doing. I had already got out it once before. Um, and I, by this point, I sort of knew what I was doing. Um, so in that sense, um, the way I was living my life is horrendous because of my awareness. Um, where the paradox kicks in is I knew what, what, what roads to go doing, what services to access. Um, the treatment centre, how to put a self-referral and worrying about things, which I would like to add, nine out of ten people wouldn't. Nine out of ten people wouldn't have got out of that like, catchment area, or just that initial problem with a postcode. No care. Mm-hmm. Other serv- no, like, how do you get to that point where you access support that you need, but you're not getting it just because of your postcode? Yeah. Unfortunately, that is happening today. I wasn't able. Um, there was, uh, there would, if I was in the city, there would have been different avenues. I, I would have been went down. Um, the road I went down to end up um, it, 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 being um, a tenant in the arts was I went back into a treatment centre. The first one I had done, and went cold turkey, completely abstinent. Went from taking drugs. Different range of drugs, it doesn't really matter. Uh, and stopped, stopped him. But wasn't able to do that without support. I had tried. This isn't something I, I had, I hadn't, um, I had, I've tried it and I had achieved it, but yeah. it was maintaining it. It was yeah. without the support. So when you talk about support, what, what does that entail? What is the support? Um, for myself, um, especially when I'm not using substances. Doesn't matter how long clean I'm at, I know how, how, how I feel at years clean, and I know how I feel at weeks clean. It just gets more difficult 
at the start. Now support can be, if you get me and I'm just clean, take me to show. Because I, I, I get so easily um, upset inside. I get anxious. I get um, confused. I don't function very well. Um, a lot of reassuring. A lot, a lot of reassuring because of how I'm perceiving everything to be. Um, I get very emotional and I, I, things are heightened. Things are... When, when I say things are heightened... Um, I mean, over a period of time, it seems to recede how I feel. Um, some areas of my life are about my nearest and my dearest that I feel that I affected the most and who supported me the most and who still c c continue to do that. That area, how I feel, takes longer. It, that that um, I feel very ashamed and guilty. In the areas I need support, I need reassurance, I need some sort of direction and somebody to pull that out of me. Um, because I use drugs for a lot of different reasons. Um, they leave me in a very poor condition mentally to think straight, yeah. to... Follow a form to make a phone call, an appointment to look after myself, my mental health, my physical well-being, um, especially at the start, cooking, cleaning, budgeting. There's a host of stuff, but during all the sort of supports when I'm doing that, I'm kind of emptying how I feel. At at the same time. I'm using the support unknowingly at this time, probably, to get through other stuff mm -hmm. while brushing up on... Well, that's what I've been doing in the past six months. Um, so going back, take let's, let's take it back. You know, please share as much or as, as little as you, as you feel. But going back when, you, you know, you're a child, your family life, you know, Leaving home, were you working? Did you get a job? Were you at college? When did you leave school? So what was that progression? And you know, sort of take us to you know. Yep, like sort of catalyst. Um, I was a very confused child. I was the youngest, the only brother, the only son, um, the only boy. Um, Dad left when I was young, remarried, very successful man, very successful family. Um, when I say successful, I mean um, Christmases, birthdays, Easter's, holidays, um, careers, um, family unit. Um, these are the things that I see now as consequences for when I was in all the years of active addiction that I missed out on and I see how further back in the family I'm not but I feel um, so that really really affected me growing up massively affected me growing up um, and my dad wouldn't turn up and stuff when I was really young 
Um, I found it traumatising. There's a lot of domestic stuff. There was a lot of noise, arguing, fighting, uh, through my dad being unfaithful. Um, although I would like to add he has been on and he's been in that marriage for over 30 years. And that woman's done nothing but support and love me and it's been an absolutely fantastic relationship but it has... It has, I have been a very trying member of that family. Um, they're very understanding, but that affected me growing up massively to the point where I would rebel and catch challenging behaviour from a very young age. Telling lies, stealing. Um, but need to add, I was very well provided for. Mm-hmm. Um, when the, both parents worked, um, bought a house, I know none of that matters, but and it just I'm gives us back to the early eighties here. You know, divorce was rife. Single parents, um, you know, before that decade, that wasn't really happening. Yeah. So, what age are we talking about? What age are you then? Well, this is pre pre puberty. Getting into puberty now. This went on for a lot of years. This didn't go on for six months. This went on for like maybe. Maybe eight year, ten year, flung back and for it. And um, my dad came back a lot of times to try, try again with my mum. And he always went back to the same woman who the, 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 yeah, he, yeah. He, he, his wife. Yeah. Um he done that for whatever his reasons were, right? And it really affected my upbringing. Although I know I'm a wee bit older. No, I do see the ramifications that has in the way I behave, especially now that I'm a dad mm-hmm. and I've got a son. Yeah. Um, and I have insecurities that I'm going to affect him the way I've been affected because it's a really difficult thing to, to explain how that affects you. It's an impossible task to explain as a child how it's affecting you. Um, and I started smoking hash quite young. I would be with my pals. Um, I did do normal things, you know what I mean? I'd go out on my bike and I would make dens and I would play hide and seek. Um, it was really, really easy. You just get caught up with um, everybody else staying it, you know, and... Um, don't hang about with that one, he's a bad influence. Everybody was a bad influence in your mother's eyes. It was never you. Um, and I kind of done that for a few years and that distracted me from my schooling. Uh, it was ridiculous. My discipline, I was, I was, um, more than the benefit of hindsight, I was, um, I was quite naughty. I was, I, I was, uh, I wasn't happy. And this was coming out of my behaviour. So, so what was happening in the home, you feel was affecting you outside well, the home? I mean, it was easier to sit in a close mm-hmm. and smoke dope with my friends. It was yeah. more, um, it was easy, it was difficult at home. I would stay out as late as I could, go as early as I could, stay out as long as I could. Um, Drugs sort of came hand in hand with that. Like, there was no drugs or alcohol f- in, in my family. There's no addiction. There's no... There's, 
there's definitely traits of like some stuff there. Yeah. But um, so someone introduced it. I it was it was different back then, you know. There was no we were talking about well, like what about self awareness? No, there's no there was no no need. There was no, you know, I was going to do well and work for my dad mm-hmm. and go into the business and uh, be a car mechanic. My future was all sort of planned out. And I, um, always said this when it came to being provided for, I had a security, I had a, I wasn't insecure about that. I was insecure about me. I was insecure about my my surroundings. So did the insecurity come prior to the drugs or did the drugs bring on insecurity? I think by the time I think by the time any insecurity and this is only with the benefit of hindsight, no knowing this at the time. So you've got a wee guy coming home from school. He's got problems at home, right? Because he's not a bad boy. He's just, he's just problems. Um, and I could go home on a Friday after school my dad would be there. I could have a crack me and my dad would be back and he'd be in the family home and blah, blah, blah. And see, but a Sunday night, there was glasses and bottles getting flung and witness traumatic violence, um, stuff that I should never... None of that stuff makes me an addict. None of that stuff made me use... But I'll tell you, it made my life a whole lot easier in that period of time. It was so much easier than my reality, you know? Um, never dwelled on it, but that led me down a path of... Uh, prison at 16. It's 16. I'm off a good stock. I'm off really good. You know, my future's no. I'm, um, you have a future. You you've got a plan. There's things going to be happening, and yep. here you are at sixteen. In, at in sixteen, I've I, I wiped that. Went to jail for quite a long time. Um, under the influence of drugs, stronger drugs, the progression of drugs. Now it's no longer smoking hash. It's um, experimenting in different drugs and more getting into states where I don't remember um, don't remember much about the crimes I committed remember how sorry I felt and how scared I felt um, but to then find myself going into these especially back then it was an environment that you could you, you could see how frightened you were when I was, when I was really really um, frightened Massively, I mean, this anxiety and that this fear um, hit me, like, and, and never left me. It never ever left me long after I got out of prison. It, this casted some sort of over me and my family and everybody that was uh, sort of connected to us. Uh, I affected everything. I affected by the time I had went to prison. Um, it was never suggested to me ever. I knew you not know, to use drugs. It was never suggested that that might have been the problem. 
Although in some cases it could have been pretty obvious, you know, committing crimes under the influence, um, you, for whatever reason, being caught up in that addiction, it was a kind of different era. Um, and, and things like that were dealt with appropriately. You would you'd come back and go to prison. There was not really any support, any addiction services, any solution. It was just a bit. Um, that fear still with me. And that was nearly 30 years ago. That was about 27 years ago. The events happened in my life that I'd done. And I don't think I've ever recovered. I never speak about this. I don't know why. Um, I'm speaking about it now. Um, it's something I've sort of buried away. I've kind of put it away. I've had it away somewhere. And um, I don't feel like it needs to really be spoken about to see the damage that it's caused. Um, I can see clearly when I'm sitting with my family, the damage. I can hear it. It's never brought up. My family are very, very supportive. Um, if I had um, I had a good upbringing as it, as it came, it's been provided for, and having uh, uh, food and clothes and going to school, but I had no emotional upbringing. Not, not one ounce yet. My, my parents, unfortunately, were caught up with their own... Um, their own emotional needs. Something which both have probably never recovered from either, you know? Yeah. Uh, being a wee bit more mature and understanding, um, I definitely blamed them and done everything that I, a young boy would have done to hurt them and blamed them and shouted and kicked and screamed, especially when I found myself um, in chemists and courts and drug dealers at the door. It was like they were, they were, they were caught in it. You know, it was their fault. If they hadn't broke up. Yeah. You know, it was, um, there was no guidance. There was no external services stepping in. There was nobody explaining to me what was actually uh, going on. It was just one catastrophe after another um, until my mid-30s. My mid-30s until I found a way of... There There was this lady... And how I lived my life at this particular time, um, addiction had been untreated for, 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 for what I just spoke about. Mm-hmm. Everything then, up until this day, had been totally untreated. There hadn't, there had not been a day passed that I hadn't been on a substance. I had been put on a methadone program and been left on it for probably 12, 14 years. Had been by. I had never achieved any education. I'd never left the country, didn't have a passport, and never able to run a successful tenancy, paying bills and cooking and cleaning and um, plenty of flats. Never once at a home, never anywhere where I felt 
at ease. Not a home should be, a place of safety and ease. Um, you know, where you can um, be you. I, I never had that, you, um, but craved it. But always. Did you know you were craving that? Again, was that a conscious decision? That this is what you needed? Or is this, this is this in hindsight? Then, there was this whole insane. You're the man of the house. No, your dad's away. I don't know if that was something just to kind of G up, and it was probably said in most households that were going through through that that kind of thing. But it also came out of a good good bit of pressure. My mum had very poor mental health and was always, not always. That's unfair. But wasn't looking after herself. She had three children. Who, who she was left on her own. Probably didn't cope the best when my dad was there anyway, but um, a hundredfold worse. I'd need to tell me to go to school. I'd need to iron my school uniform. I'd need to give me lunch money. Knew if I was stealing, I was stealing for a reason. If I wasn't going to school and sitting smoking hash, um, that's what I was doing. My mum would be trying to hold a job down. And I'd be sitting in there, I'd wait until she'd go to work. She'd think I'd go to school and I'd come back home and she'd go to work. Um, adding a hundredfold to this woman's problems, who's only trying her best, um, who I'm afraid to say has never recovered. My mum's never recovered from all that stuff that, that we're talking about, um, which affects me massively today, um, finding myself homeless again and having to get back through services um, makes it really, really difficult. Makes it, um, that doesn't mean because it's difficult that I'm not grateful. Um, uh, it's been very warm weather this week, right? Um, and I became a parent when I was like 40 in recovery. Uh, in last year, my son's only a toddler. Last year, my partner um, tried everything, everything to prompt me into getting clean again, to being part of his life. Um, because it, when you relapse, the progression is so much faster. The, 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 you revert back to how you were. At the end, because you've had so many years substance free and your body's recovered and everything else, any good work that you maybe do over a period of years is honestly undone over a period of weeks. You go back to the condition when you you first stopped sort sort of using. Yeah, understand. Yeah, yeah. And nothing, nothing prepares you for that. There is no. When you're sitting there, there is no, nothing to forewarn you of the consequences that are about to come your way about how you're going to feel about yourself. When I, when I say that, I mean self-loathing, feelings of guilt, utter shame, um, and that is when I realised the power of addiction. It's when I relapsed. 
when, when I picked up after a pe- period of time, having the awareness that you were talking about, um, witness firsthand that addiction does not discriminate. The minute you do not treat it with respect, um, it, it, it will smash you, which is my experience mm-hmm. in more than one occasion. The thing is, um, life turns up. Yep. Everything that we spoke about there, there was no job losses. There was no, there was no failures and there was no successes. There was no partners, marriages, there was no children. There was no, you, you, there was chaos. There was loads of negative stuff, no services and prisons and just going to get me out of this situation and this and, you know, they also didn't have a chance to breathe. You know, nobody, we were just swept away with us or uh, we were always going to think our way with it, you know, there was Mm -hmm. nobody really to sit there and go take me by the hand. I needed somebody to take me by the hand and to give me that, especially when I was talking about when I stopped using substances, that support. Nothing really prepares you for the feelings. That's when I find I needed the support the most. Um, It's bad enough being homeless or finding yourself in a situation. The thing is, when you relapse and you know a wee bit better, there's nobody really to blame. You know, you you find, and whether that's just a, a, a case of not being able to cope. In recovery, my relationship broke down. My mother was sectioned. Uh, my dad took a stroke. I lost my job. I wrote my car off. Uh, this was all within a couple of weeks. This didn't happen over a matter of months or, yeah. or a winter. This happened over. Could be kidding. Like, it's going to be happening to me again. But I'm, I'm really trying here and. Like, I'm not even using, and you you know, it's like, I'm working now, and it's like, why is life still turning up and treating me like this? It was so unfair. And, um, I wasn't coping. I wasn't coping. And that's, that was um, the trigger to the relapse, um, which was one of the worst experiences I've ever experienced in my whole entire life. Um, access to service to to, to to get clean to support me to get drugs and I knew um, I knew this service existed um, and I've set myself short achievable goals to stop using to access the service that will give me respite and some sort of interaction with, with, with some sort of programme yeah. and then not return to the area where I used, where yeah. I come from, yep. um, and to start safeguarding myself against substances, really, really basic stuff, and try to run one day and a week and a month. Uh, Build it back up again. Mm-hmm, staying substance free. Um, and then, I mean, which is difficult. That's difficult if you've got a boat house. A beautiful message and a successful job. You're homeless. 
you cannot hold the heart of everybody again. You've just sort of gave yourself another bit of doing. It's just sort of something else that you need to deal with. Yeah. You know, um, and this is the way I seen it was the steps that I'm going to need to take. I took these steps the last time and I, 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 I felt with the support I done okay. And I, I feel last time it's been so much more emotional internally and it's and it's been so much more difficult in general um, for a whole host of what's the difficulty been? myself myself um, finding myself always getting in the way I don't know if it's an arrogance or if it's a The only way I can describe it is a quiet, a quieter. Um, there's, there's, there's something quieter about you internally. Um, more introspective. More beat and quicker. Right. You know, it's um, it's not like being beat the first time because you don't know, you don't know what's come. Yeah. But you've kind of been there and done it. You know it's in the post. Um, and it's... Um, or other people perceive that you know better. You know, my argument is if I knew better, or if I know better, then... Because I'm no silly. Because I was doing it, I couldn't cope. And I struggle to cope without support. It doesn't matter how long clean I was. Um, so much other stuff came into my life to maintain my, let's just say, my, my spiritual condition. To maintain that, there was things that I, there was disciplines that I had to do. I had to attend regular meetings for recovery. I had to help other people. I had to keep the right company. Um, there, was a, there was quite a lot of disciplines, right? But it wasn't as if I went through my day and I went like, oh, I need to do that. And it, it, it was worked into my life. And it was very simple. There was no one bit difficult. Considering the way I lived my life previous, mm-hmm. um, it was easy. It, 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 was, um, it was a good life. So had you stopped doing those things? No. Um, no. Because I also loved day things, but what happened was this other... So I never used to work six hours a week. You know, I would feel pressured off from my management that I would need to pick these shifts up where we're going to need to get session one and they got so much more than newer. I've got a baby, I've got a partner, you're like, you need to work. But I've got this thing where I'm wanting my managers to see me doing well and I'm not wanting to say no and I'm not wanting to affect it because... I felt if I was to have said no, and on the occasion that I did, there was some atmosphere, or been the times that I did need to do overtime, yeah. I wouldn't have got it. There was always some form of manipulation going mm-hmm. on somewhere. Um, and at that point, my partner really needed me after having our son. She'd postnatal depression. I was working a lot. This was all new to me. Yeah. This was all stuff that I had no experience in. Yeah. And what I was 
now experience. I had no time to get away meetings or to hook up with a sponsor or to share about how I felt. I was that busy, I didn't know how I was feeling. But I was slowly but surely losing. This is all we hindsight. Yeah. I was going to say retrospect, but no really, because when I was in it, I was in it that much. Mm-hmm. At the time, I suppose I always knew there was a risk. Having so much pain, which I remember like yesterday, especially with the breakup and stuff with my mum, um, absolutely crippled me. I couldn't, I cared less of the consequences. I just couldn't feel that for another day. At that period, in that point, yeah. I couldn't feel like that. I was, I was, I was just. It was a nothingness to me. It was an emptiness to me. I was beat. I was hurt. Um, it was a horrible experience, but um, somehow through that, I became really, really desperate and wanted to be a father. And my, I can remember sitting with my doctor and saying, I want to live. I don't want to die. Um, I know how it is to want to die and to wake up every morning or to not to wake up for the drugs. Um, but I says I want to live. I don't want to be doing this. At this point, I was in a poor condition with injecting. I was covered in abscesses. Um, there was nothing to me. The, 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 the doctor um, had been my family doctor my mum's doctor and everything else so he says there's two things I can do for you and that's it and the two of them's maybe prescribed methadone and another another one Um, he says I want to get clean don't want to go and a drug to come off a drug he says I've done that with you and I ended up on it for over a decade he says that terrifies me Um. And I try to put across how lost I was, but he never had the time for me. And that's just the way it is. That was it. Um, and he gave me a methadone script and told me to come back in six weeks. Yeah, that, that, that was his solution. Which I knew there was another solution. I knew that, but I was needing a bit of support to, to yeah. reach that solution. And unfortunately, um, it was really, really at that time difficult to access because I was so isolated. When I mean isolated, I was using, I had no phone, I was in another, another town. My mum was in the hospital, I wasn't seeing my son, I wasn't driving, I crashed my car. Um, I was so disconnected for society, not just recovery. The only people I was now seeing was getting syringes right and this is this is insane while I was getting my methadone and I would speak to the lady and the chemist um, who knew what I'd done for a living at this time I still had a job in the addiction field they hadn't officially finished finished it yeah and the reason I lost my job was nothing I thought to do with relapsing it was because I never put in a sick line. 
for whatever you know yeah. um, I, I, I see that I turned up for the disciplinary um, I ended up going through disciplinary um, and got a 12 month warning and I was told to come back to my work as if nothing had happened um, this really affected me the atmosphere in the work yeah. you'll know going through disciplinary you get different uh, statements all that stuff has to come you need to read it if you agree with it if you don't you need to but you don't agree with mm-hmm. it um, so I had a lot of atmospheres. How did you feel? It was a, you know, you touched on it in the past, shame, guilt, etc., things like that. Were you, were you feeling that going back into the workplace? I felt very, very unsupported. Very un, un, under-supported. Um, so what, what could have happened or should have happened at that point what do you feel that should have happened you mean professionally yeah professionally or generally generally yeah you know at that moment when you, you know you're screaming out for help what help do you think should have been there do you think there should be help well out there? part of the reason i couldn't scream out for help was my first fear was i was i was going to lose my job right i've got a son to provide for and i've got a car that i need to pay for and i've got bills and so um, if it had been different proficiency I would think I would have found it a wee bit easier to go right. to my manager and say I think I've developed a small problem again being the service in, in, in which it was I felt it was an abstinence based project so I felt it was for even a staff member to be thinking along the lines is unacceptable so that was my first barrier and I did say myself gets in the way me myself get get caught in a a lot of the the way Um, I put myself and these are some of the scenarios that I found you could call it pride um, there's a host of things you could put a label on it with um, I feel that by the time it got to treating, this, the, the progression when you relapse is so fast. It is so under... It is, to, um, it's something you need to experience to, to get. And this isn't healthy. It's nothing positive in it. It's so unhealthy, dangerous and bad. Um, because I've went to meetings for years and I've heard people um, talking about relapsing and how sore it is and everything else and I had never imagined I had never imagined um, until I had experienced it I would have loved to have learned by somebody else sharing their pain um, when I picked up substances and when I relapsed after that period of time I didn't want to use drugs I didn't want to die. I didn't want to do suicide attempt or anything like that. I just couldn't face feeling the way I felt for another day. That was it. I just couldn't go on another day. I couldn't. I just I was no. I was no functioning. No. I was resentful. I was bitter. I was angry. I was full of pity, hurting, emotional. Everything was getting in the way. 
I wasn't able to function doing my job, support other people. Um, so that's what happened then was I was on full pay on the sick. This was my form of support. That's that enabled the life for me to just then go and give me all the time to use, um, isolate away. Um, I know that wasn't the purpose then. Um, but that was what happened. And then, uh, I think it was April, I was officially a thing, I'd get my last whatever off them, salary-wise, yeah. and it was quite under bad, quite a bad atmosphere, it was, I, was, I left under. Um, Could you have overcome it, do you think, if you'd had support at mm-hmm. that, that place you were working and, yeah. and, and overcame? Without the 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 journey you've been on since then, so I think that's been about a year. Yep, yeah, just just about aye. The whole thing's been about two years. Uh mostly letdowns, mostly falling short. So um, where are we today? So we 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 go up to I lost my job right. Went back into treatment about two months after that. Straight away. Try access treatment centres that I could say with limited funding, with what I had. I know for myself, I've not got a salary to pay, but but I know I'm going to die. I know I'm going to die because of the way I'm using. Um, and I'm constantly trying to stop, but no managing it. It's got me. It's, it's winning. It's got me. And... Um, one of my friends, one of my friends, a guy I shared a room with in this treatment centre in 2012, um, was there, He's, he was there for me and he supported me doing the assessments. And I went into the treatment centre and I withdrawal, no detox, went cold turkey the very next day. Um, went for being on a methadone script and a lot of various different drugs to finding myself completely abstinent <laughs> like 24 hours later and really feeling it. And how long did that last? I would I say it's about maybe six, seven weeks. Um, uh, it really, um, this is just the physical stuff when it, Mm-hmm. You know, um, shivering, fever, um, loose stools, vomiting, and just, uh, and then um, got clean, done hundreds of meetings again with the treatment centre and hundreds of group work. Um, so sort of knew I wasn't going to get much more out of than that. I spent a year in that same treatment centre studying the steps. Um, previously, so and I knew it worked as well. Everything that they were suggesting, yeah. guiding me, um, I had the experience of that working for me previously. And then I knew, right, was my biggest problem now because I'm clean. My, my problem was I was stuck on a methadone program and I was using illicit drugs. Um, I'm, I'm not doing that today, but I can't get the recovery that I need 
in that environment. I've had to relocate into Glasgow, which is a more vibrant recovery, eh, much more on offer. I know this. We've been in recovery and working in it. Um, how much more the city has got to offer. I also know how challenging it is to access some of these services. Um, so my next achievable goal was to get a roof over my head. I left that treatment centre, stayed with my friend, um, slept on his couch for five or six weeks, spoke to yourself, done whatever it was I needed today to get through that period and stay clean. Went to meetings every day, started building relationships up with my son and my partner and so I started getting a kind of grip and a foothold on where it on something that won't make nicer, more, more pleasant. Um, so what has the arts given you? The arts gave gave me and it's still given me. Um, that gives me so much emotional support. It gives me practical support. You know, if, if I mean, cooking and cleaning support all day long, right? You know, doing budgeting and um, biggest thing the answers gave me is a base, somewhere to draw a line, draw a line, and for somebody to help me with a direction, to function, to think straight, and to make an informed decision about the next steps I'm going to take, which are things like education, do I want further education, do I want to volunteer, do I want to go back to work, do I want to work in, do I want to practice being a parent, how challenging is that? There's a whole host of stuff that I use supports for. Um, the arts, um, I have no doubt about this, and I know this is going to sound very severe. Um, I probably wouldn't be alive if it wasn't for staff in the arts. Unfortunately, I have relapsed and uh, it was close to fatal. You know, um, more shame and, and stuff. Um, but uh, the arts just probably gave me my life. It's gave my son, um, parent. Well. It's kind of... Although um, it's no ideal, um, if it wasn't really for the arts, there's a good chance it wouldn't be here. And that's heavy, and I know it's, I mean, it's, it's quite severe, but I'm kind of meaning overdoses and being found unconscious, the kind of, I'm not kind of meaning lost mentally. I mean, in the whole like, heart stopping thing. Um, which way it kind of awakens you. So when you're having moments with your son, things are a wee bit more precious. Um, when you're sitting and you're in a, a, a visit in a ward, like the same ward that you've been in when you're hopeless, you've been in the same ward for nearly two years, year and a half, you told your mother's it's deteriorating. Um, it gives you a bit of more patient and understanding. 
the events in life that happen to you to, to take stock and to sit and to be um, you know, a conversation with my mum and to be understanding that I know where she's at you know she's you know with communications and and, uh, and come back to a place right and speak and cry has there been forgiveness on both sides for yourself Do you think it'll come? I think it comes much easier for I think forgiveness for yourself is really difficult. For your nearest and dearest, I find they sort of recover quicker and forgive. Uh, I do anyway I don't know if that's because like halfway along the line of that whole recovery thing and recovering part of that would be forgiven I think upset the apple cart's right maybe in the middle of where I don't know um, I definitely don't forgive myself I wish I did I want to thank Alistair for speaking with us today. That was a very touching and a very heartwarming story. I'm sure you'll agree. If you have been affected by any of the issues raised in this podcast today or in any of the other conversations that we've had, then we'd love to hear from you. Even though you are not directly involved with us, we would still love to help you and signpost you as best we can. So please drop us a message at our website, which is www.scottishchristianalliance.org.uk or you can email us at info at scottishchristianalliance.org.uk Please contact us uh, via our social media sites on Twitter at ArchThe. To find us on Facebook, please search The Arch Resettlement Centre. It's been great uh, chatting with you over these last few weeks. We have, as of today, 95 downloads, which we are thoroughly delighted with. But we want more, we want to get to 100. So please share this podcast and, and the others with your friends, families, colleagues. If you want to donate, you can do so via the Facebook page or via our website. If you or your organisation would love to sponsor us to help us continue the work that we do, then we'd love to hear from you also. There is space for everyone. Thank you for listening today. Please, if you've not listened to any of the previous podcasts, please do so, because we have some excellent contributors. We have plenty more in the offing, and some smashing guests lined up, which I think you'll love. Well, it's time to go. Uh, my name has been Brian Reed. Thank you for listening. And remember, please stay safe. And until next time, be blessed.